Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for the sixth Sunday in the Easter season in year A. We are following the series called He Lives, exploring what it means that our Savior is alive, that his word is going out into the world, touching people's lives and hearts. And today we'll find uh, that word embodied uh, in the words of two of the apostles uh, and uh, Jesus' own words in the Upper Room Discourse. Well, let's get into our discussion, but before we do, let's introduce our participants today. With us for this series are Pastor Tyler Peel from Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Pastor Brett Krause from Zion Lutheran Church in Denver, Colorado. Also with us today is Professor Sam Degner from the seminary. So thanks to all of you guys for serving today. Uh, Brett Krause, this Sunday is the sixth Sunday in the Easter season. Just tell us a little bit about the main scriptural theme that comes across this week. Sure. Thanks, John. So the, the theme that we have before us today is he lives to call me to live for him. And that's the theme for this week, because that's really echoing the words that Jesus says to his disciples as he's talking in the upper room discourse in John 15, which is the gospel for this week. So he tells his followers, if you love me, keep my commands. And that's just another way of saying love for me is going to be a life lived for me. And I think of the Apostle John hearing those words in the upper room. He obviously recorded them in his gospel. Uh, later on in his first letter, he, he echoes those same words when he tells followers of Christ, this is love for God to obey his commands. And then he adds that beautiful thought, and his commands are not burdensome. And you, you just think about, about that. Jesus gives us that command. Here's how you love me. You obey my commands. And what a thing that is. Uh, to actually be given away by God himself to show love for the one who, who created us. Uh, not because it earns our salvation, Jesus, of course, did that, but, but a way to respond to the one who so loved us um, by giving us this tangible way to obey his commands, um, to show love for him. And we, of course, have a, a perfect demonstration of what love through obedience looks like in Jesus. He obeyed his father's will to save mankind um, by obeying, you know, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross in order to rescue us from our sins. And now we get the ability to, to follow that demonstration as loved ones, um, as we go out and love others in the same way through obedience to our father's commands. Um, and I won't steal too much from Tyler, but you just think about those Three readings we have this week, Jesus tells us in the gospel, it's the Holy Spirit who enables you to do that, uh, to love through obedience. And then Peter in the first lesson tells us we can love through obedience, even if it means suffering for our obedience. Um, that too follows the cross of Christ. Um, and then in the reading we'll focus on today from Acts, uh, maybe the obedience of simple repentance and belief. And maybe we'll even talk about the obedience to Christ's call to, to share the message of, of Christ's love for us. All those things, I think, are, are tied into the theme this week. He lives to call me to live for him. Great. Thank you, Brett. Uh, Tyler, we are going to be focusing, as Brett mentioned, on the second reading for, excuse me, the first reading for today from Acts 17. Could you uh, just 
give us a little bit more on the gospel and the first reading, or excuse me, the second reading. It, it's the book of Acts. When the Acts is uh, first reading, I get my mind wants to put it second, but um, give us a little bit more on the second reading and the gospel, if you would, and maybe show us some other connection points. But make sure your audio is on, Tyler. Thanks. Sorry about that. Both of these lessons are following on the ones we've had uh, in the week before in Easter five. Uh, so in a lot of familiar verses today, um, probably because they are in these texts are answers to the big questions about uh, origin and identity and um, meaning and purpose and destiny. Uh, it's really like all the questions that are common to humanity are really all answered in the text that we have today. Um, and all of them based on preaching the resurrection, the comfort, the strength, the repentance, the change that happens in light of um, Jesus alive from the grave. So first Peter three, uh, last week we were in first Peter two and it was, um, this powerful announcing of who you are, I, identity, um, the holy nation, the chosen ones, the people belonging to God. And now um, this book that's been themed on living out hope, living in the hope and living out the hope that comes from the resurrection um, gives us chapter three, verse 13 to 22, which is almost like this whole curriculum in um, Christology, maybe soteriology, um, evangelism, uh, baptism um it's a and it's a text that you would use to speak about um living your life in christ ready to um give a winsome and a solid witness to 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 um know what you believe and why you believe it and be prepared to answer that uh you know in a peter talks about it in a way that has with gentleness and respect um versus I suppose the anger and the maybe even arrogance that so easily comes up um, in a world that's so against Christ, like we live in uh, with uh, so, and the key to this section of that St. Peter's writing, I think is this um, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. This is really how you would do this to have a heart settled on Christ. Um, then as he will talk about, you're ready to suffer and not retaliate, but, instead to want to leave a mark of love as a witness. Um, the text touches on the descent into hell. Well, it's really the, the place in scripture that we go for uh, a proof passage for this, proclaiming the victory of the resurrection, even there to the devil. Um, and then Peter proclaims, and, and that's ours. It's your hope. That victory is yours because of the baptismal connection that you, we know, lived and uh, you died and rose again with Christ. And now your heart and your conscience can stand clear before God. Now your heart is set apart for Christ as Lord. Then um, John 14, as Brett was alluding to, is um, Jesus bracing his disciples, I suppose, for his departure very soon. Uh, and he says to them, I love and then you love me. Um, God makes the first move, but he invites us then and empowers us. And that's, um, I, I love you and I love, you love me back. I'm wondering if this might be a confirmation weekend for some congregations out there. It just seems like a beautiful text to, to speak to that. Um, I love you, you love me back, but that on, 
not on your own steam. Uh, I'll send you the paraclete. He'll be helping you. He'll be with you forever. He'll be in you and I'll be in you. Um, so some words on the, the mystic union and by the spirit living in us and the father and the son, we, our eyes are open to see Jesus in things. And then a, a big, powerful passage from the lips of Jesus, because I live, you also will live. So uh, that's the way I think about this section of John 14. I live, you li- uh, I love and you love, says Jesus. I live and you live. Um, and all of this because he lives from the grave. Thank you. Uh, let's go to our sermon text now. Sam, could you get us going uh, as we think about how to preach Acts chapter 17 and uh, Paul's sermon in Athens? Uh, what points stood out to you in this text or things that would be useful for preachers? Sure. Thanks, John. I, I think uh, this, this text presents the preacher with a, a choice between two related but pretty different directions. And so if it's okay, maybe I'll lay those out and, uh, and then we can, we can talk about each of them. Absolutely. The, the, the first one that, that maybe flows with all, all three lessons from the Sunday and the theme of the Sunday most closely uh, would be uh, the, I think the main point would be the main point of Paul's sermon, which is that knowing the true God leads to repentance. The true God wants, wants uh, our, our lives of repentance. That's the kind of worship he's looking for. Uh, I think it, it, in that direction, the preacher would sort of be preaching Paul's sermon to the Athenians, to his own people. There are some things you have to be careful about because your people are, are not pagans like Paul's audience was. Uh, but I, I think the main thrust of the sermon would be the, the same, uh, not, not conversion, but still a call to repentance. Uh, I think the second direction would be to see Paul's sermon here is an example of some of the things that we might like to teach our people about evangelism. Uh, and I think there's still a close connection with one of the other readings, at least with first Peter three, um, being ready to give an answer when you're, when you're put on the spot, uh, is exactly what Paul was asked to do to give a defense, uh, in Athens. And so he's, uh, he's, he's doing that, doing what Peter uh, calls us to do. And, uh, he he does so by clearly proclaiming the gospel, but doing it in a you know, culturally sensitive way. And so we, we could talk about some of those aspects too. Um, if you're doing that, I think it would be a little more of a didactic kind of sermon. Probably would have a little more of that kind of a feel. Uh, seasonally, it would be a good fit. The, the growth of the church is emphasized in those readings in Acts and Easter. Um, this Sunday coming uh, as it does right around Ascension, and the Great Commission uh, would be a good good time to talk about uh, mission and evangelism. Uh, so I think uh, I think the preacher could maybe make a choice between a couple of main directions there, and if it's okay, laying those two out, uh, I'd be curious to uh, to explore both of them with you guys. Yeah, Tyler, Brett, uh, what do you think about those different options, or how might uh, you think about approaching this text and preaching it, Brett? Yeah, thanks, Sam. I'm glad you brought up those two uh, options because that's exactly what I was wrestling with as you think about uh, preaching this to your people on a Sunday morning. Is the perspective um, Paul's preaching this sermon to me and to us 
And what does he have to say to us? Or is it, yeah, what can we learn from Paul about how to approach an unbelieving world with the message of the gospel? And I think it is neat that the preacher could probably pick one of those two perspectives and go with it. Uh, or maybe there's a way for the preacher to work hard and succinctly talk about both of those things. Um, and uh, yeah, it's probably possible to do that, to first think about, um, you know, maybe you present the text to, to your people and, and the first thought is, yep, we are nothing like the Athenians, uh, those pagan idol worshipers. And then you can confront yourself and your people and say, but actually we are uh, just like them because the Athenians at their heart were, they had a natural knowledge of God. Uh, Paul is obviously building on that um, in the text. And so the Athenians were searching, who is this God? What is he like? Or who are the gods and what are they like? And in their search, God was so close to them, Paul says, but he really lets them know on our own, it's going to be impossible for us to find him. We're always going to invent a God or gods for ourselves that are incredibly smaller than the one true God. And, and there's a lot of uh, malady law preaching that comes from that, you know, the, the idols that we invent for ourselves in our heart, uh, the gods, they're, they're always smaller than God is. Um, they're always insufficient. They're, um, they never give us what we truly want. Um, but then to think about where Paul took the Athenians in his message, uh, but let me introduce you to the one, the one true God, the God who created us, we're his offspring, the God who controls all things, um, the God who will send a judge. You know, Paul talks about that at the end. And where does he eventually go with his sermon? It's always bringing people back to Christ. How can I figure out a way to introduce them to Christ? And he, he beautifully lays that out in the one that he you know, resurrected from the dead. And of course, in the context, Paul wanted to talk more about Jesus, but didn't really get a chance to because there was an uproar in the city. Um, maybe maybe I'll leave it there for now and we can kind of explore the evangelistic aspect of that too. But um, that's maybe that side of how, how can you present this text to your people from that perspective of Paul's preaching this sermon to me and to us what can we take away from it? How can we identify with the Athenians um, as we hear it? Right. I was going to suggest that as kind of a summary. Uh, are we leading our listeners to identify with the Athenians to whom Paul is speaking or more with Paul, the, the Christian who is speaking to a, a pagan world? And of course, there are ways that we can do both. Uh, um, so thank you, Brad. But before I say too much more, Tyler, let's get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I like what you just said, and I guess that's maybe the way I've been thinking about it, is that um, there's this incredible example of Paul ready to defend um, the faith, and he invites us to that too, but he does it by showing, by helping us to see things differently. In that sense, we're connected to the Athenians listening to think about this more profound and beautiful way to think about God than just some small thing that we can handle or whatever else. So um, I, I think that we do want a, a listener to be ready to defend it. Um, you know, 
that's the itch maybe that you want to scratch here. How do you, as a follower of Jesus, see this and how do you defend it? Right. Um, so uh, Brett got us started thinking about, especially that, that first approach, uh, how we can lead our listeners to identify with the Athenians to whom Paul is speaking. Um, what about the kind of the second way of looking at this, uh, identifying with Paul as he speaks to a world that is very religious, but nevertheless um, not acquainted with the true God, but instead seeking after um, a lot of other things in place of the true God. Um, Sam, do you perhaps have any thoughts or suggestions on on that approach or how you could go about it uh, from a preaching perspective? Sure. Uh, if, if it's okay, before we move to that, I just wanted to uh, add another uh, idea to what Brett was talking about. Oh, yeah. You know, if we are, if we're sort of preaching Paul's sermon to our people, uh, obviously understanding that they are, they're different, Um you know, I, I wonder if that idea that he, when he talks about God doesn't need to be served, he doesn't need temples made for him. Um, I wonder if that's a, another sort of law, specific law point that we could talk about that, that we, even as Christians, we, we tend to like to construct um, a, a little bit of a comfortable man-made religion, things that we feel like we, we can do or are doing, probably things we already do well, because it makes us feel good, uh, that, um, you know, make God comfortable, right? Uh, for the Athenians, it was building shrines and even having an unknown God shrine uh, to make sure that they were they were okay. And, and maybe for us, it's some of the some of the good things even that we do that you know that help us to feel like God should be happy with me. We help people out. We go to church. Um, we're pastors. Uh, we we work hard. We give money to charity. Um, and sometimes those things that we do then can become the external things that that become an excuse for a lack of repentance, which is really what Paul is calling the Athenians to do. Because that's, uh, you guys are living in ignorance and God's gonna, um, he's not gonna tolerate that forever. Um, so maybe that's a, you had talked about some of the you know, idols uh, sort of that we have, Brett, and maybe that's just another, a, a different way that you could take that. The specific law angle would be, uh, what, God, what God wants from us, from our people is, is repentance and not some of the cute man-made uh, things that we build up around us in our lives to make us feel like we're, we're covering the bases and making God happy. Uh, so maybe before I move on to that sort of second approach, if you guys want to respond to that, feel free. I, I'm sorry to throw it back in. Yeah, no, thanks for doing that and unpacking that a little bit more. Uh, Brett, Tyler, any further thoughts on that? Brett? Yeah, just real quick. And what you just said there, Sam, ties in so beautifully to the theme for the day, right? What does obedience to God look like? And it's it's not this obedience that checks all the boxes so that God's happy with me. It's an obedience that truly flows from a heart that knows it's it's been loved. So, yeah, there's just some great connections to make there with the, the thoughts from the gospel as well. For sure. Yeah. Um, there's nothing more on that angle. Let's go to the second one that uh, we've mentioned here today, and that is um, approaching the text as kind of helping Christians view themselves in some way as, as like Paul, um, speaking the truth to a religious but uh, godless, capital G, godless world. Um, Sam, any thoughts there? I, I think to start with, the remembering the context here is, is helpful, especially if we're going in, in that direction. Uh, Paul uh, let's see, he was imprisoned in Philippi, right? Uh, rioted out of town in 
Thessalonica, run out of Berea. Uh, now he's in Athens. He's alone. He's waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him. Uh, so just puts a little more perspective. I mean, here's Paul in Athens, uh, now alone, having been having faced all of this already on this this missionary journey, uh, and now he's he's put sort of put on trial. I mean, the uh, the Areopagus wouldn't have been like a, a judicial kind of body, but sort of a culture police, and it was their job to find out what what's going on with this guy, new guy who's teaching something new, uh, uh, bringing foreign religions in. That was the same thing they had accused Socrates of. Uh, so a little bit of danger here, I think, uh, being accused of what he is. And uh, he's put on the spot and, uh, you know, really sort of embodying what, what Peter is talking about there, where, where you, when you live differently than the rest of the world, people are going to ask you questions and be ready to give an answer to Paul. Paul certainly does that here. So the boldness that he has um, is is something that that I think we can show our people, especially through the context surrounding this. That Paul solo in Athens, uh, after everything he's been through, is still in front of you know some of the most important people that that uh, someone could meet there. He, he's boldly proclaiming Christ. Um, there there are a lot of you know, other things, if, if it was kind of a teaching sermon, a lot of things that you can highlight about what Paul does that we could help our people to see and think about. Uh, some of it's maybe too, I don't know, maybe some of it's more uh, what you teach guys in an evangelism class at seminary. So forgive me for that. But uh, th thinking about, um, you know, knowing he knows his audience, right? Uh, he finds common ground. Uh, he finds some truth in what they know and believe, even quotes their poets. He doesn't shy away from pointed law, right? Uh, this is ignorance. God, God has uh, not always come down hard on it immediately, but he is going to. There will be a judgment. Uh, and he doesn't shy away from foolish gospel. Uh, he, they were already accusing him, the Stoics and the Epicureans, it says in the verses before this, of uh, being a seed picker, a guy who just, you know, picks up little ideas here and there and throws them out, even though he doesn't know maybe what it all means. Uh, and here he's talking about someone being raised from the dead. He doesn't shy away from that. Uh, he speaks boldly, even though he's definitely on the defense and he gets mixed results in the end. Right. So I think all of those things or some of them would be things you could you could talk about with your people as part of a what a Christian witness might look like from us, too. Right. Adding on to that uh, approach, uh, Brett, Tyler, uh, some thoughts in that regard. Uh, Tyler. And uh, um, so I'm trying to, I'm thinking about what you were saying, how does this apply in my cultural moment? And I appreciate everything Sam said about that. I, I don't know. Um, I, they're competing realities that Paul is working with here, right? Or supposed reality. What is, well, I think about in our moment, um, how reason, I guess this is probably as long, as old as the world is, but reason um, versus revealed knowledge of God versus scripture, uh, maybe specifically even in science, the way that it's, you know, it's a thing today to, to be a kid and told that you're closed minded to, um, you know, believe what the scriptures say. The story is the science has the absolute truth. So then there's this idea that they're opposed to each other um, when they're really not, right? There's a tension there, I suppose, sometimes because we uh, have limited human knowledge and in both angles, but reason, science are gifts from God to be used, um, what we call it the ministerial use of reason, right? To serve, to know, to discover the things. And I think 
Um, that sounds like what Paul's talking about when he starts out. I'm a seek, truth seeker like the rest of you. I appreciate knowledge. I've been looking around and Sam was kind of talking about that connection he made with them. Um, so anyway, I suppose that, that may be a little bit off of the text in some ways, but I think it's, it's there as a point that um, your reason you, um, and knowledge is a gift to be used in service, but you'd have to be able to see that rightly and that would take a resurrection, but even to know a resurrection, someone has to proclaim it to you, right? This is how God wants to be known. Um, so there, the, there are the folks, you know, and sitting there and uh, let me proclaim to you again, what you may have already heard and known, but here is Jesus who has said, um, I am the truth and um, he's the reality. Thank you for that. Yeah, Brett. Yeah, and uh, both of you brothers have, have laid out this so well about just the approach that, that Paul takes to evangelism in this city. And maybe just thinking, too, about what was emotionally going on in him and, and the options that he had to respond to these people in this city. You know, Sam, you mentioned all of that stuff that just happened. So here's a guy that just keeps getting literally beat up every time he shares the gospel. And, you know, not only are you maybe a little gun shy after that, but you're, you could get mad, angry about how the world is treating you because you're a Christian who shares the gospel. And if you go back to the immediate context in verse 16, so Paul's there, he's waiting for Silas and Timothy. He's got all that angst about the Thessalonians. And he's walking through the city and the text says that he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So greatly distressed. Now, how do you respond because you're greatly distressed? Um, that really hit me because in our society today, I see a lot of our brothers and sisters get greatly distressed when they look out at the unbelieving world and and see maybe the, the backwardsness of it, the, the upside downness of our society, the immorality that comes from it. And it's a culture that thinks they know, just like the Athenians did. They thought they knew, and yet they had it so backwards, and it causes us great distress. So how should we respond to it? And Paul could have lashed out in anger just yelled at them for how immoral and backwards they were being. Um, tying it to the theme, he could have had this idea of, here's what obedience to Christ looks like. It denounces immorality and backwards thinking. And, and it yells until everybody in the room knows, this is what I think, and you're wrong. Um, but Paul knew Christ, and he, he knew this is not how my Savior reacts to the backwards, upside-down, immoral wor world. Um, you know, there are just things about Jesus that come to mind when the backwards, upside-down Israelites were crowding around him, and, and he looked at them with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Um, when the tax collectors and sinners around him were living immoral lives, um, he said, let me go and eat with them and welcome them, not because he accepted what they were doing, but because he wanted a chance to use his word of truth to change their heart so that he could then change their, their lives. And 
you know, with all those things going on in Paul's heart, he's greatly distressed. He, he chooses option B to witness like his savior did. Um, he has compassion on the Athenians. He, he calmly plots out a way to talk to them in a way that is going to communicate clearly to them. Um, you know, he, he starts with the known. We have, we have a common ground here. We all believe in, in, in God. There's religion. There's spirituality. Um, he, he doesn't put down their culture, even though their culture was leading them to these pagan immoral things. Um, and he, he does that so that he can then lead them to the unknown. And his plan was always to get them to Christ, uh, always eventually to connect them to Christ. And there is just so much for us to mimic, I think, in Paul's approach when it comes to how we deal with unbelief and immorality in our own culture today. Any ideas for, uh, for a possible tying this together with a, a common theme um, or uh, things, your ideas you might have to suggest that might get preachers thinking? Uh, Tyler? Well, um, I love the quote that Paul grabs onto. Um, For in him we live and move and have our being. There's a, a lot one could say just on that sentence. Uh, but I also love his, um, let's see, which verse is this statement? And he gives, it's verse 25. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So, uh, you know, in the specific context he's preaching to, um, he's going to turn the world upside down. You don't make gods, they make you. He, the the true one true God, um, gives everyone life, breath, and everything else. So um, I think this applies, is easily applied to us and our lives in the sense that we have so many things that are given to us, so many gifts that are given to us to lead us to an appreciation of the God behind them or to so many gifts that are crying out to be used to his glory, uh, not to be gods. And we know how easily they become um, more than just gift, but but God-like to us. So um, maybe that one just is one to burn in the ears. He gives life and breath and everything else. And I was thinking about the prayer of the day has a line in it uh, that connects to that. He, uh, Lord, you are the giver of everything good, life, breath, and everything else. Mm-hmm. So it was just one idea. Okay, thank you. But I kind of like Sam's uh, seed picking. I'll see if I can work that in somehow. <laughs> right. Tabler. Right. Just some Athenian slang for you. Right, yeah. <laughs> but vivid, vivid imagery. Um, yeah, other ideas? Uh, Brett? Yeah, if you wanted, so that Sam presented us with those two perspectives to tackle the text from. And if you wanted to try to tackle both, maybe a theme is something like God is only known in Jesus. Um, and then the first part of the sermon talks about how we come to know God that way. And then the second part of the text is, and that's how we show God to others. So we come to know him only when we know Christ, the risen Christ. Um, And we lead others to come to know him when we're showing them Christ. And I don't know, if uh, if you dare to do it, you could almost work through the text twice, all the way through once with the, this is talking to me. 
and then start back at the beginning and go all the way through again. And this is how we can do this with, with others. Mm-hmm. And if a preacher can do that in 18 to 20 minutes, God bless them. Right, right. Some careful editing probably is needed sure. there, <laughs> being picking out and, and choosing and highlighting particular things. Um, but, okay, great. Uh, could we just, so we've got kind of a basic uh, overarching way to approach this text and kind of two uh, angles from which to view it. Uh, let me just open it up now. Other other thoughts that are occurring to you that might be helpful for preachers um, that uh, you think might be um, useful and getting the juices flowing a little bit as they proceed with their sermon creation? Well, I think maybe um, as part of an an introduction setting the scene, it's interesting just to think about Athens and maybe connections to um, our own culture or, um, you know, just to think about this cultural center of the Greco-Roman world. And uh, I guess, Sam was talking about at the beginning, you know, but in, they, didn't, they couldn't hardly meet an idea they didn't like to talk about or work their way through. Um, and so many, so much pluralism, gods everywhere. Um, so, I, you know, um, I think there's just some neat connections. Uh, people there were certainly searching for something divine. Yeah, an experience with God or else manipulating God. And um, how many times have you heard? I'm not, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual right which isn't just isn't far it seems to me from what paul was watching mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. along those same lines of you know a preacher could even just like paul quoted a couple of poets right you know a preacher could think of examples of contemporary poets that that say that speak uh, truth uh, that the people around us would probably all agree with I mean, what paul is doing is he's he's letting their own people say something that he wants to say right it mm-hmm. comes straight from Paul, they might question it, but oh yeah, we agree with, we've always agreed with that poet. Um, it'd be interesting to, to find some, some parallels in our, in our culture too. Right. Like living on a prayer. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, maybe more Kanye or something, but. Okay. <laughs> that, that isn't really contemporary anymore, is it? Neither of those are. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Right. It's, it's a way of engaging a culture that says, um, I mean, I'm thinking of Paul's quotation of the poets there um, that says, do uh, these pagan poets, um, are they raising questions that are valuable for us to think about? Um, are they uh, putting forward ideas that, that we need to wrestle with? And not from a biblical perspective, but Paul provides that uh, perspective. But sure, so engaging our culture in a similar way. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Any, any further thoughts? Uh, Just, a, Sam? you know, another thought on the, uh, maybe on the specific gospel. Uh, and uh, we, we've touched on this already and I appreciate it. A couple of you guys have, have highlighted that we're, we're in the Easter season. And so that the resurrection mentioned here, it, it's, it's just half a sentence, right? But it's gotta be, or one sentence, half a verse. It's gotta be, um, it's gotta be a, an important part of our preaching of this text. I think and, mm-hmm. uh, as you, so whichever uh, angle you take, but I guess I'm thinking right now if we're going to apply the sermon to our to our people, uh, the when when Paul gets to that mention of the of the resurrection, he has given uh, proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So the fact that um, Jesus was God's man in the world and he's going to return to judge, and the proof is that he rose from the dead, right? Um, 
could be a, a, a helpful turning point in your gospel, uh, in your sermon from even from the, the law to the gospel, from the judgment to, um, to our exoneration, right? And um, I'm sure we have, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure, it's very possible that we have a summary of what Paul preached that, that, that there was more that he included in his sermon. And maybe he preached Christ crucified, like he said, that's all he did. But here he mentions specifically the resurrection. And I think this would be one of those sermons where the specific gospel is very resurrection focused. Maybe can't preach the resurrection without preaching the crucifixion too, but uh, I think there would be a, a lot of focus on what the resurrection then means. Um, that uh, that Jesus is, uh, that he is proven to be who who God says he is, that the true the true God and the, the one in whom our salvation is found, also the one who gives us uh, who gives us life now uh, and eternally, the one who gives us power to live the, the sanctified life that we've been preaching about. So just a, a it's you know it's that last line. It's the one that kind of cuts off his sermon, uh, but I bet as a preacher we would we would put a lot of emphasis there. Yeah, you can tell this is where Paul is leading. You know, up to uh, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Above all, this is what I want to share with you. Right. All right. Well, uh, if there's nothing further, then let's wrap for today. But thank you very much, uh, Sam, Tyler, Brett, uh, for all your thoughts. And God bless you, preachers, as you wrestle with this, uh, uh, yeah, preaching a sermon on a sermon, essentially, uh, but um, just a, a wonderful example of uh, Paul proclaiming the gospel and a gospel that is aimed at us, too, as we talked about. The Lord bless you as you proclaim that living word about a living Savior.